Well, good morning. Psalm 86 this morning. Psalm 86. We are in the midst of a series called The Heart of Worship. And God led me to this series to teach us as a church how to worship him. I think for many Christians and many churches today, when they talk about worship and think about worship, they stop it, well, it's just good that we're worshiping God. And yet, God has much to say in his word, not just about the fact that we should worship him, but how to worship him. And so that's what we've been discovering. And I think as a church, I want to encourage you with this and, and I think we're growing in our worship of the Lord. And that's good because worship and, and that aspect of our walk with God and being a follower of Jesus Christ should be no different than any other aspect of our Christian life. As we grow in, our, in, in prayer, as we grow in depending on the Spirit, as we grow in our understanding of the Scriptures, so we should grow in our worship of the Lord as well, you see. We're going to talk about that a little bit this morning as we look at Psalm 86. Before we get into that this morning, though, because I want to save the, the ending of our service for more worship, let me just remind you of a couple of things. This Thursday starts our women's Bible study back up, both in the morning and in the evening, two sessions. In the evening session, there is child care made available for that. So ladies, please go out there and sign up and take advantage of this wonderful time of being in the Word of God and, and fellowship with one another. And then, of course, Saturday, November the 2nd, is our church picnic, and I would love to see all of you there. It would be a great opportunity for you out there in that wonderful setting at Top of the World to just spend some time uh, getting to know each other better, maybe building some new friendships and getting to know some folks in the church a little bit better. It's just a very laid-back, relaxed atmosphere out there. The weather's going to be beautiful that time of year. Uh, it's just going to be a fabulous day, as it always is. So we invite you to be a part of that, and you can sign up for that out there as well. Most of the Psalms up to this point that we've looked at in our series, David has not written. But this is one that David wrote, and in fact, you'll see there at the top of Psalm 86, this is actually a prayer of David that was sort of born out of an experience in his life where he's pouring out his heart to the Lord. And we want to look at three different things in this psalm this morning that teach us about the heart of worship. The first thing is David's requests of the Lord, then David's regard for the Lord, and finally, David's relationship with the Lord. And the thing that makes this psalm, uh, and maybe even scripture, and, and, and maybe even applying it to our own lives a little bit unusual, is when you and I, as well as maybe other Bible characters, begin to pour out our hearts to the Lord about what's bothering us or upsetting us or going on in our life, we get right to it, right? God, here's what's wrong. Let me tell you what's wrong. Now, I, I want you to you know, talk to you about this. David doesn't tell us 
in a sense, what the problem is. He doesn't divulge the problem that is really the setting of this psalm until verse 14. And I know that's not the beginning of the psalm, but I'd like to start there. I'd like to show you, here's what's really going on in David's life right now that sort of has borne this psalm, this song of David, this prayer that becomes a song of worship in the house of God. Down in verse 14, he says, Oh God, arrogant men attack me, a gang of ruthless men who do not respect you seek my life. So once again, here is David, in a sense, literally running for his life. But I want us to see some real important things in this psalm that, again, teach us, I think, about having a heart of worship for our God. And I'd like to now go back up to the beginning of the psalm where we see David's requests of God. The interesting thing that I saw in these first seven verses is that David's not really making any specific request yet. He'll do that at the end, and we'll see that in just a moment. What David is really doing, first of all, is he just wants to be heard. He just wants to know that God is listening to him. You see that in verse 1. Listen, O Lord, and answer me, for I am oppressed and needy. I'm totally dependent on you, God. I am over my head, and I don't have the wherewithal to deal with what I'm dealing with. I can't do this on my own. Then in verse 6, you'll notice he says, O Lord, hear my prayer. Pay attention to my plea for mercy. In my time of trouble, I cry out to you. And then he does affirm, Lord, I know you're going to answer. But all David wants to know is God is listening. Isn't that many times as human beings all that we want from even others? <laughs> We know that when we go to them or talk to them that they might not be able to change the situation that I'm talking to them about or do anything about it, but I just want somebody to listen to me. I just want to feel like I'm being heard. That's David's first request. And one of the reasons why you and I should worship God is even though he's the God of the universe, sustaining everything that he created and all that, he always, always has time to pay attention to each one of us. Amen. He always hears us. He's always listening. Even when you and I are in places in our life when we are walking with the Lord where we may be praying and, you know, we use the sort of the phrase at times, I feel like my prayers just go up and sort of hit the ceiling and bounce back. That may be the way you and I feeling, but that's more, talk, that's more describing, I think, where you and I are at, not where God's at. Because God's always listening. God's always hearing. God never plugs up his ears. God is always open to the prayers and to the cries of his people. And so David just simply says, God, I just want you to hear me. I just want you to listen. And then affirms at the very end, and God, I know that you are. And I know that you'll respond to me. I know that you'll answer me. And can I say, God should be worshipped for that. 
The fact that, again, we can go to God about anything at any time and we know that he will hear us. We know that he is listening. We know that his ears are open to us and to our cries and to our concerns and to our cares. God cares about the things that we care about. And therefore, he should be worshipped for that. But then I want you to go with me to the end, towards the end of the psalm, where we see some of David's other sort of requests of the Lord. And so he goes from simply at the beginning just saying, God, I just want to know that you're hearing me, to now getting a little specific about his requests. He says in verse 16, God, would you strengthen me? Then next, in verse 16, he says, God, would you save me, deliver your slave? And then in verse 17, he says, God, would you show me? Strengthen me, save me, show me. And he's asking there for God to show him evidence of his loving care. But notice he's not doing this just for his own benefit. He says, God, I want you to manifest in some visible, tangible way that you love me so that those who hate me will see it and they'll be ashamed. Because God, I know that you're going to help me. I know, Lord, that you're going to comfort me. You see, these are the requests that David has because of certain men who are not, have any respect for God and obviously not for David and who are seeking to kill him at this moment and wipe him off the face of the earth. The fact that you and I at any time, no matter what we're going through, can go to God and pour out our hearts to him, no matter how big of an issue, no matter how small of an issue, that we can ask God to strengthen us, and he will. That we can ask God to save us and deliver us and rescue us, and he will, because that's the God that he is. And to ask him to even show us, show me, God, that you love me. And we know that he does, because every day, God manifests his love to us. Every day. Every day, God continually pours out evidence that he loves us. In fact, even in the song that we sang this morning, the very fact that you and I have breath in our lungs to be able to sing to him, that comes from him. The heart that is beating that gets us here and keeps us going, the brain that he gave us to be able to, you know, understand the words and, and say all that. It all comes from God anyway, so we're just giving back to God what he's already given us. In a sense, worship is just acknowledging that everything good that we have comes from him anyway. Why not just acknowledge that and turn it back to praise to him? Amen. You see. And that's really what David is doing here. David's acknowledging all of that in his request. But I also want us to see this. In this psalm this morning, we not only see David's requests of God, we see David's regard for God. See, to me, if, if you and I are going to worship the Lord and especially grow in our worship of God, our reverence and our respect and our understanding and comprehension 
of who God is needs to continue to expand, if you will. And instead of trying to put God in our little box to be able to understand him and bring him sort of down to our level, make him more at our level, we need to just let God be God and realize that he's always going to be way more than we can calculate or, or contemplate or consider and that that's okay. God never asks us or expects us to be able to understand who he is in all of his aspects or to understand everything he does. In fact, the Bible says that he says to his people, my ways are not your ways. Amen. I'm different. And you're not always going to understand who I am and everything that I do and the choices and decisions I make. I'm just asking you to trust me and to be willing to follow a God you won't always understand because I am beyond you. I'm infinite. We're finite. And so notice in the midst of all this, some of the acknowledgments that David has for his God. First of all, look at verse 5. He says, certainly, O Lord, you are kind, good. And he says, and forgiving, which, by the way, that word in the Hebrew means ready or anxious to forgive. Think about that. God doesn't just want us to, you know, come to him. He actually wants to forgive. All he's looking for is that we would be willing to accept the provision that he made for our forgiveness, which is the blood of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice. And if that's the case, then it's good. He wants to forgive. If you are here today and you are carrying around a load and burden of sin and guilt and shame, you can get rid of all that today because God says, I not only will forgive you, I want to forgive you and I'm ready to forgive you. I'm anxious to forgive you. Just call upon my son, Jesus Christ, and accept what he did for you on the cross of Calvary and it can all be wiped away. Casting our sins into the depth of the sea, removing them from us as far as the east is from the west. And then David says, and you show great faithfulness to all who cry out to you. Literally, you show great favor. You are abounding in love is what the word great faithfulness means. Then if you look over at verse 15, he says, but you, O Lord, are a compassionate and merciful God, you are patient and demonstrate great loyal love and faithfulness. So once again, we see David's regard for who God is. And this is why, you know, we have stood as the Oasis Church as one that says, we don't believe that worship and the word of God should compete with each other like they do in many Christians' lives and even in many churches today, we think that when we do worship right and when we do his word right, that they actually should complement each other. Amen. That the more I'm in the word of God and I come to a greater understanding of who God is, the more I want to adore him, the more I want to bless him, the more I want to exalt him and elevate him and, and, and you know, bow before him and, and worship him. And then the more I worship him and I am in his presence, the more I want to know about him even more. So that drives me back to the word, which then drives me to worship. And it's a cyclical thing Amen. in my life, you see. 
So notice in verse 8, David says, None can compare to you among the gods, O Lord. Your exploits are incomparable. Notice David is acknowledging the absolute uniqueness of God. In fact, notice verse 10. He says, you are great and do amazing things. You alone are God. God, there's no one else but you. (laughs) There's no one beside you. You have no peer. You have no equal. In fact, God said that in the book of Isaiah to a pagan king that he was going to use as his instrument to release, to defeat the Babylonians and release his people from captivity in Babylon. His name was King Cyrus of Persia. And God, Yahweh, came to King Cyrus and said, there's no God like me, king. I have no peer. There's no one like me, and I'm going to use you as my instrument to go into Babylon and defeat the Babylonians so that my people can be released. What other God is there like that? No wonder the prophet Jeremiah says, God, there's no one like you. There is no one like you. You have no one beside you, no equal, no one even close. You're incomparable. You alone are our God. I want us to look at those four words this morning, and I I, I want God to sort of engrave those in our hearts and minds. That should be our regard for God. God, you alone can save. God, you alone can forgive sin. God, you alone can make our hearts whole. God, you alone can heal You alone, God, can can give sight to the blind and and hearing to the deaf, and, and you alone can make the lame walk. You alone can heal a broken heart. You alone can change a heart. You alone, God, no one else. You alone, God, can fulfill and satisfy. Nothing or no one else can. You alone, God, can help me experience peace and give me a peace that passes all understanding. No one else can. Amen. You alone, God, can part a Red Sea. You alone, God, can calm the seas and the waves and the winds. You alone can bring down a city like Jericho. You alone can make a way in the desert. Only you, God. Only you. Only you, God, can literally hand a small little church in Gilbert a piece of property like this. Amen. <laughs> Only you can, can, you know, make this possible. Only you, God, no one else. You deserve all the glory. You deserve all the praise. And isn't that what creating a heart of worship is all about? Is when again we realize that everything we have, everything that we are, is only because of Him. It's only because of Him that we have all that we have. And therefore, we should live a life of worship to Him and regard Him as He alone has done all this. You see, again, in too many of our lives, even as Christians and in too many churches, 
Our lives have become about us. Church becomes about what we like and our own preferences, and that's even creeped into worship. Worship of, of the great incomparable God has been reduced to arguments among Christians about styles of singing and what we sing, and, and somehow we've even reduced worship to, to songs. And how loud we sing and how soft we sing and what kind of songs we sing. I'm thinking to myself, we've lost it. Amen. Do you think that we have those discussions or will have those discussions in heaven? I don't think so. And even when I hear some Christians say, well, you know what, though, that song there, I, I don't like that. It's too repetitive. I get it. Some songs do do a lot of repeating. But how do you like to be the seraphim from Isaiah? who have done nothing but millennia, but stand in the presence of God singing, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. That's a, they don't say, God, can we sing another song but that one? Yeah. No. And do you think when we get to heaven, we're going to be telling God what style of music we like and how loud we want to sing and all that? I don't think so. God is saying, we've lost our focus of what worship should be all about. First of all, worship should be about him, and it starts with our heart. Amen. It's more than songs. It's more than what we do externally. God is simply saying, when I have a Christian's heart, the worship will take care of itself. Think about some Bible characters that God really had their heart. And, and can I tell you, in spite of all of David's mistakes, why did God say of David, David, you're a man after my own heart? Because David was a man of worship. He had a regard for God in spite of all the mistakes and the sin that, that he did. And that his heart longed for God. His heart thirsted and hungered for God. He wanted more of God, and that's what worship is all about, you see. And if we could get Christians to that place, our churches would be filled with enthusiastic, devoted worshipers of God, and we wouldn't get caught up in all the externals that we get caught up in. It would be about him, you see and exalting him and elevating him as David is doing here in this song. Which is why I want to take us now, beginning in verse 11, to David's relationship with God. Because here's the fascinating thing. I want to remind all of us as we read these next couple verses that what David is saying is in the midst of nothing changing in his life. It's not like what he's about to say is because God has now rescued him from these ruthless men who seek his life. No, no circumstance, nothing has changed. But now David has sort of come back. He sort of emptied his heart, if you will, or, or gotten off of his chest what he wanted to. But now he comes right back and where's his focus on him and God. See, that's what, that's what it should be about in our churches. Not, not thinking about others during our worship time, but where you and I individually are so connecting to God, so experiencing the presence of God, so engaged with God that we don't even think about others around us. Because guess what? 
Yeah, there are going to be others that don't get us, might even be critical of us, whatever, but we won't care because we're going to be so caught up in God and in being in his presence and being with him, we're not going to pay attention to all the naysayers over there. Again, let me think about, give you some examples, some Bible characters. John, who had a special place for Jesus in his heart. And I think, as we're going to see in a minute, Jesus had a special place in his heart for John. Because out of all of his disciples, who did Jesus entrust the care of his own mother to at the cross? John. I mean, think about that. You and I just wouldn't entrust someone we love that much to just anybody. We have to know their heart. And how did Jesus know John's heart so well? Well, John was the one, right? Remember at the Last Supper? Where was he? Physically pressed up to Jesus. Bible says his head was literally leaning on Jesus' chest, sort of almost feeling his heartbeat. That's where you always found John. John just craved being in the presence of Jesus. He just wanted to be as close to Jesus as possible. It's like if, if the disciples were there and you saw Jesus, John was probably always next to Jesus. He always wanted to be close to him. And that same heart that he had for Jesus, Jesus said, that's the kind of man I want to take care of my mother. How about Mary when she went in to anoint Jesus? All those people were critical. Oh, my goodness, all that money for that perfume, it could have been used for so many other purposes. And, and she's pouring herself out, and she's pouring that perfume over Jesus, and she's weeping, and she's wiping it with, with her hair, and, all the, and there's all this criticism coming from the other side of the room. And do you think, she, no, she is in a mode of, I'm going to worship my Jesus because I love my Jesus, and he's forgiven me of all my sin, and he's redeemed me, and he's saved me, and he loves me, and I'm just going to pour out myself to him. She didn't care. It was all about her and God. And part of what holds us back in our worship is we're too concerned about what other people are going to think. Amen. Can I tell you, when we get to heaven, the great freedom there is we're not going to care anymore. Again, do you think those seraphim is crazy looking as they are. I mean, you, you, see, you heard the description of them in Isaiah. They got like six eyes and, you know, hands and arms and wings and all this stuff. I mean, they look weird, right? And they're twirling around all around the throne of God and they're saying, holy, holy, holy. Sorry if that's not the way it is, but, you know, that's the way I picture it. You know, who knows? We don't even know. That's the thing. Heaven is going to be so far beyond. And, and, and I've told you this before. It, it always struck me that when, when Paul was caught up to heaven and he came back, you know, for me, if I, if I was caught up to heaven, I think the first thing I'd start spewing about is what I saw. What always struck me about Paul was he never tells us what he saw. What impressed him about heaven was what he heard. Because I think when we get to heaven, we're going to hear sounds and we're going to hear worship and we're going to hear voices that we can't even imagine. It's going to be beyond our comprehension. So notice here David's relationship with God. Why I say that is because notice in the midst of David being hunted, people wanting to kill him, 
That really doesn't matter to him. You know what matters to him? God, I just want to be okay with you. I just want to make sure, God, that you and I are on the same page. I, I want it just to be about you and me. If you choose not to change my circumstances, I'm okay with that, God, as long as you and I are okay. That's where David comes from. And can I tell you, that's the heart of worship. Amen. Whenever we care more about where we are with God and, and that we're engaging with God and that we're in his presence and we're enjoying him, we're not just experiencing him, we're literally enjoying him. The Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Amen. Have you tasted the Lord yet today? Amen. He's good. And when you sit down at the king's table and you partake of the food that the king has for you every day, you'll not go back to the other junk. You'll be like, God, I, I want to sit at your table every day because what I can get at your table is not like anything else that I can get anywhere else. So notice what David says. First of all, in verse 11, in speaking about his relationship with God, he says, oh, Lord, teach me how you want me to live then I will obey your commands. Now, I want you to notice something, Eric. You don't really get this in the, in the English, but in the Hebrew, what David is saying to God is, God, it's not about you telling me what right steps to take. It's about forming the right habits in my life. Amen. And that, that goes back to last week about the priority of the house of God and about the privilege of worshiping God in the house of God with the people of God and how it has to be a habit that we develop. That's exactly what David is saying here. He's saying, God, train me, transform me, teach me the right habits in my life. I don't want it to just be an experience. I don't want it to be a one and done. I don't want it to just be, I'm taking this step or that step, where we, we reduce worship of God to just checking boxes off like many people do. You know, I'm checking the box of going to church. I'm, I'm checking the box of I pray today. I'm, no, it's about heart interaction with God. It's about God, teach me the right habits. And the main one being, I want to be in your presence. Because notice what he says at the end of verse 11. Make me, God, wholeheartedly committed to you. David is saying to God, give me an undivided, undistracted heart. Wow. Can I say we all, even as Christians today, every last one of us, we should pray that prayer to God. Because we live in a world of divided hearts and distracted hearts amongst even God's people. Amen. We have so much distraction today that pulls us away from keeping our minds and hearts on God and even acknowledging him. And we should all pray that prayer. I want you to know as the pastor of this church, I'm praying that prayer for us. I'm saying to God every day, God, would you make the Oasis Church a, a church that is filled with people who are wholeheartedly committed to you, Amen. who have an undivided, undistracted heart when it comes to you? And then he says this, verse 12. Oh, Lord. My God, I will give you thanks with my whole heart. I will honor your name continually. Folks, that's the heart of worship. Because notice something. What's David want? David wants God. He, he doesn't say, oh, Lord, my God, 
I will give this or that. No, no, he says, I will give you. It's about you. It's about me and you. I will give you. And notice the resolve, the determination that has to be there. He says, I will. Too often, we're not resolved enough to worship God. We're not determined enough. We're not devoted enough. And the reason I say we have to get there as a church, we have to get there as individuals, is because worship is a battle. The enemy of our soul will do everything he can to keep us from worshiping God. Amen. Why? Because worship is about putting God in its rightful place, both in the universe and in our own hearts. It's about giving God his rightful place. That's saying, God, you're first. You're the priority. You're preeminent. You come before all things, and there is nothing beside you. There is no one beside you. There is no one like you, God. You are incomparable. You alone are God, and therefore I should worship you and put you above everything else. That's worship. The enemy doesn't want to see us do that, and neither does the world because the world has no respect or reverence or regard for God, and so the world will do everything that the world can do to pull us away from spending time with God because they look at spending time with God as a total waste of our time. They look at what you and I are doing this morning. You're going to take a couple hours of your Sunday, your precious Sunday. You only get a couple days a week on the weekend and you're going to spend it in church? You all are crazy. Well, guess what? I'm crazy for God and you are too and I'm okay with that. Because a billion years from now, when everything that they've lived for is burned up and consumed and perishes and is done away with, you and I will be in glory worshiping the Lord and we're just going to be getting started a million years from now. And what we have chosen to invest in and, and done here on this earth is going to matter throughout eternity, you see. And we're going to remember days like this. We're going to be sitting around up in glory a billion years from now going, remember that Sunday in October when the pastor was a little, yeah, yeah. <laughs> of course, you could say that about me every Sunday, really. Let me go back to one other thing. In verse 11, David says, teach me. I wrote this actually in my Bible for myself, but I want to pass it along to you. Worshippers of God must always be teachable, <laughs> trainable, transformable. Why? Because what I said at the very beginning of the service, worship should be no different than any other aspect of my Christian life. If I should be growing in my understanding of the Bible, if I should be growing in prayer, if I should be growing in fellowship, if I should be growing in service, if I should be growing in all these things, then I should also be growing in worship. And too many Christians and too many churches, here's where we're at. This is my box of worship. This is the way I will worship God. This is how we will worship God. And we won't go outside that box. And all I can say is, I think God says, then you're going to miss it. Because guess what? You should be growing as a worshiper. And you and I should never get to a place where we go, nope, 
That's the only way I will worship God. That's the only means and methods by which I will worship my God. Because what that will do is that will stifle any growth in our area of worship of our lives. God never wants us to stagnate. And if you and I are not moving forward in our relationship with God, we're automatically going backwards. If you and I are not moving forward as a church in worship, then we're moving backwards. If we're not letting God continue to grow us in worship and, and developing a heart of worship, then our heart is becoming cold and, and, and can, we can get hard-hearted and stubborn and, and, and we can become less sensitive and less tender towards the Lord. And worship, what, what it does is it continues to, to make my heart heart tender and salt towards God, pliable so that he can work on me and so that I can respond to God. Because at the end of it all, that's what worship is. Worship is responding to our God as he works in my life, as he works in your life, as he works in our life as a church. We are simply responding back to him. And when we've lost that response, we've lost the vitality of our Christian life. I want to plead with you this morning. Don't shut down. Don't shut off on what God wants to do in your life, even as a worshiper. Be willing to grow in your life as a worshiper of God. And not just corporately, as part of a of a community of believers that comes together and elevates and exalts the Lord, but in your everyday life, to just make it, to begin to ask God to, to make you wholeheartedly committed to him and that every day, God, help me to develop the habit of, of worshiping you all day long. That even at my job, God, I, I can pause every once in a while in my head and just say thank you, God, thank you. I acknowledge your goodness in my life. I acknowledge the fact that you've given me the health and strength to even have this job and be able to do what I do to, to support my family or to support myself or, or whatever. You, you gave me the brain to be able to grasp these things and all of that, God. You gave me a heart that was, that was able to, to submit and maybe follow someone that's not very easy to work with or whatever. God, maybe I just want to thank you because I see around me that there's not a lot of people who are Christians, and maybe you place me in this community or this school or this workplace to be a light for you, but God, I thank you for that. That's worship. Amen. That's worship. But as we've said here in our series, what we want to concentrate on in these 14 weeks is the worship of praise and singing. Because the largest book in the Bible the book of Psalms, which I think says something about God, is 150 songs. They are part of the worship of God. And God says, I'll tell you how to worship me. One of the things that I love is I love music, God says. So I want you to worship me with instruments. I want you to worship me with your voices. I want you to sing. I want you to shout. I want you to use your voice to lift me up and to proclaim and declare in this world who I am. 
I want you to do it not only so those that do not believe in me will hear, but I want you to do it as believers so that you can encourage one another. Because maybe there's even a Christian here today. You had a rough week. You were beat up and beat down out there. And you needed to come to church to be lifted up and refreshed and strengthened spiritually. Well, guess what? God alone can do that. And one of the ways that he will do that in our life is when we lift him up, we're lifted up. When we exalt him, when we humble ourselves before him, he lifts us up with him. And so right now, you and I have the opportunity as a church to apply right away what we've learned today. So I'm going to invite you to stand with me and we're going to pray and then we're going to spend some time worshiping and praising and singing about our God and making these last few moments that we have together about him and about focusing on him. So Lord, I pray that you would make us wholeheartedly committed to you right now. That God, whatever divided hearts, whatever distracted hearts we brought into this auditorium, that God, you would remove those divisions, you would remove those distractions, and that God, we would cry out to you, God, we just want this to be about you. Because you're all that matters. Everything that we have, everything that we are, it's all because of you and it's all come from you. Everything good we have in our lives, God, is because of you. We would have nothing without you, God. And we were, we're going to experience glory forever because of you. And we don't deserve any of it, God. How can we not worship you? How can we not praise you? How can we not lift you up? So fill our hearts today, God. And make this time of worship an overflow of blessing, an overflow of adoration an overflow of exaltation of you, God, as we set our hearts upon you. And God, in this room, may every one of us just engage with you right now. May we not care about what others may think or say. God, may we just personally want to pour out our love for you and upon you so much that, God, everything else disappears. Everything else in the universe is fading away right now, God, and it's just you and me right now, God, in this place. And I'm going to love on you, God, and I'm going to receive your love for me right now. And we're going to have some precious time together, God. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.